Good morning, church. Man, I am so glad that you guys are here today. What an exciting time to be here as the family of God on a Sunday morning to celebrate our risen Savior one with another, to lift praises to His name, to dig into His Word, to see practically how He's called us to live as followers of Him, to gather around the Lord's table. It is an exciting time to be a Christ follower, is it not? Uh, Joy to be with you this morning. Thanks for being here. We want to say welcome to our guests that are here today. Thanks for joining us, being a part of our assembly. We hope you have seen Jesus Christ in our midst. And uh, we would hope that if you're looking for a church home, man, maybe you'd think about Crosspoint being that place. We'd love for you to join us in telling the story of Jesus Christ using your gift sets, the things that you've been blessed with, uh, to tell other people uh, around you in your neighborhood, at your workplace, in our town, and across the world, the story of Jesus Christ, that indeed Jesus will make all things new. Thanks again for being here this morning. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 18. Uh, If you've got your Bibles, please turn with me there as we'll be digging into some difficult passages today uh, as we continue in our second week of Graceland. And again, we're not talking about Elvis, we're not talking about Memphis, we're talking about the grace of God. As we started last week, digging into and reminding uh, one another through God's Word that we've all fallen down. We've all made mistakes. There are moments when you have dropped the ball, you've stubbed your toe, you've said the wrong thing, there's been a difficult relationship You've made a, a wrong choice. But what we discovered last week is the grace of God is bigger than all of that. Amen? Uh, the grace of God covers every single thing that is going on in your life. Uh, and what a joy it is to know that we, we serve a God, that His grace is bigger than anything. And I want you to say that with me. God's grace is bigger than anything. Let's say that. God's grace is bigger than anything. God's grace is bigger than anything, and he, he, it is. He's such an incredible God, and He loves you so very much. There is nothing you could do that would make Him want to leave you, walk away from you. His, his desire is to love you to the, to the fullest. He wants to give you the best possible life that you could possibly hope for. And so we lean into the story of Jesus Christ knowing that He is our risen Savior, and He loves us more than anything in the world. Matter of fact, He paid the full price for that love. And so we graciously live out life in gratitude for what he's done for us. But there's an other end of grace as well. I mean, if you're receiving grace, that is awesome. It creates a joy-filled life. And when we think about what God's done for us through his son, Jesus Christ, we have happiness in our heart. We have joy in our heart. We're excited about what is happening because we've made a decision to lean into the story of Jesus Christ. But it can be difficult if you realize or when you realize that grace doesn't stop with you, that it's got to go out amongst the people that you interact with. And sometimes that kind of grace can be messy. It can be hard. It can be difficult. When you're on the giving end, things are really good. But sometimes on the, on the giving end of grace, when you receive it, it's great. When you give it, sometimes those moments can be very difficult. Maybe you grew up with that berating father. That father was absent and he expected more than you possibly could do. Maybe, maybe you've experienced in your own life, uh, in your marriage, uh, a divorce. Maybe you, things didn't work out there how you wanted that to happen. Maybe you're experiencing an interaction with a family member where they've taken advantage of you, maybe monetarily with the possessions that you have or maybe in an emotional moment. Maybe currently you're having a dialogue with your adult children that's very abrasive and it's not very love 
filled in the discussion. Maybe in your life you've experienced that coworker that stabbed you in the back, the one that you thought you were friends for life and you would do life together, but you realize that at the end of the day, you're simply a rung on the ladder that they stepped on to get to where they needed to be. Maybe at some point in your life you have to face that boss that ended up firing you. You and I have those very hard and difficult stories in our life that we have to look at, that we have to work through. I mean, the writer of Proverbs says in Proverbs chapter 14 that each heart knows its own bitterness. And the idea there is that you are the one who really understands the hurt that was caused in your life. No matter how many times you tell the story, no matter how many times you try to make it plain to someone else, you are the one that understands the hurt, the betrayal, the loneliness that has existed in your own heart. I mean, we all carry scars because of the relationships that we've had along the way. And it's because that we've made ourselves vulnerable in the moment. And maybe this morning you find yourself as one of those folks. You, you, you've got a relationship in your life you can't work past. The forgiveness doesn't seem to be there. The, the opportunity to offer grace and move forward in that relationship doesn't seem to be there. One of the books I used in my master's program and as I worked through this uh, series is, is a book called Forgive and Forget by Lewis Smedes. And if that's you this morning, if you're finding it difficult in one of your relationships to, to use grace, to use forgiveness and move forward, I, I would encourage you to grab this book and read through it. It doesn't have all the answers, but it'll certainly help you work through the emotional relationship part that you find difficult at times to work through. Our text this morning is in Matthew chapter 18, and it's one of those very difficult uh, calls of Christ as a follower of him as we try to imitate him in every possible way. Uh, Before our text this morning, Jesus really outlines and talks about conflict resolution. If if you really are having conflict with someone in your family or or maybe a faith family like we have here at Crosspoint, there are some some processes that you can go through to resolve that conflict, and Jesus kind of spells that out. And then we have the text that we're going to take a look at this morning. You see, what we discover, though, is, is grace is only grace when it goes both ways. We know that we have received that grace from God, but also in our life as Christ followers, we're called to, to let that grace go out to those around us, even in those hard moments when people have hurt us along the way. We're called to offer forgiveness. Because you see, if you're receiving the grace of God but you're not letting that extend to relationships you have in your life. That's not God's design. God's design is that you would receive his grace and then extend it to those around you. Someone once said that the litmus test for the reality of the gospel in your life is the extent to which you give grace and forgiveness to the person who has hurt you most. That, that's a tough saying, because all of us can think about somebody in our life that has hurt us really bad, and to think about offering grace to them like we've been offered grace in our own life uh, sometimes is a barrier. It's a difficult thing to move through, to move past, and Peter starts our text this morning asking a question. My guess would be, if we're honest, we have all wanted to ask Jesus before. And so we read verse 21 as we begin our time together. It says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? 
Well, what we don't know at the front end is that most rabbis in Jesus' day had a way of teaching forgiveness and grace and offering that. And the magical number was three. If someone in your family, if a friend offends you, then you offer grace and forgiveness. If that same person does the same thing to you again, you offer grace and forgiveness. On a third time, if they do it again, same person, same situation, you offer grace and forgiveness. But on the fourth time, that's when you can give them the right act. (laughs) That's when you can tell them how the calf ate the cabbage. This is where the, the line in the sand goes for his rabbinical teaching. So it makes sense that Peter is asking Jesus this question with the number seven. Now, this is also one of those moments, I don't know if you've had these before in the gospel accounts, moments where you wish you had been present. For me, this is one of those moments. I I would have loved to have been there watching Peter ask Jesus this question and watching Jesus' response, and then watching the body language of everyone else that is listening to the interaction in the group, because I would imagine Peter thought it was going to go something like this. So, Jesus, (laughs) what do you think? You think... If I were to forgive someone seven times, that would be good. Is, is that what you would say? With a little smirk on his face. Now, his idea of a response would be from Jesus, Peter, why can't all the disciples be just like you? <laughs> That's not how it exactly went down. It seems very gracious, but as I read that question into our story, I have an idea that Peter had somebody in mind. Peter was having conflict with someone, maybe another disciple or a family member, who knows. But I think Peter was having a problem with someone and he wanted an answer and you've had that moment too with someone in your life. Someone who gave you a, a little bit of chaos. Someone who created conflict. And maybe it wasn't seven times. Maybe it was one time that seemed like seven. You've had those moments before too. That's how significantly you have been hurt or you have been wounded along the way. That it just took one moment, someone coming into your life, creating a situation, and then they were gone. For most of us, the people who hurt us are the people that we love. Family, close friends. And that happens because we end up giving them our heart. And in doing so, we give them control. And when they stomp on that heart, it is painful. It is hard. But there are some of you here this morning, and I've talked to you about this story before. You've told me that you have worked really hard your whole life to make sure that doesn't happen. And so you have built a really thick and tall wall around who you are in your life. No one is getting through that wall. You will not be hurt. I've heard you say those words. Maybe not even Jesus is getting your heart. Well, I wouldn't go that far. But you've made sure that you're not going to be hurt in the process. And Peter's question calls to mind this morning a name and a story in your own life where you've struggled with grace and forgiveness. It's a question that we would love to ask. I mean, when is hurt greater than giving grace? How much is too much? How far is too far? And then Jesus continues our story in verse 22 by answering Peter. 
No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Another version might say 77 times. Some scholars believe this might be Jesus reaching all the way back to Genesis chapter 4. There's an incredible story there about unforgiveness and reciprocation and what will happen if you do something to me. It's a, a different story for a different time. But it's interesting how Jesus comes back and says, grace is never not an option. Grace is always the option. And this morning we're sitting there going, okay, okay, I I see what Jesus is saying, I, I hear what you're saying, but let me tell you about the extent of my broken heart. Let me explain to you how I have been betrayed. Uh, let, let me tell you the wrong that has been done to me, the injustice, the, the betrayal, the, the pain along the way. You may accept and read what Jesus says, but honestly, wrapping your heart and your head around that is some difficult thing to do. I mean, when you have been the one hurt, when you have been the one betrayed, when it is your story where you have not been accepted or kicked to the curb, You may believe and see that to be true, but that doesn't mean it's easy to do. And then Jesus begins by telling us a story like he does so many times. In verse 23, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. So we have a CEO type here who is kind of got a, got a family, if you will. And the servants, the slaves, can borrow money, it appears. It seems to be a, a pretty friendly environment. But there comes a point in time where this wealthy king decides to make everything right. He wants to get all the books up to date. He wants to get all the debt paid. And so one by one, he brings in the servants to do just that. He's got a scribe present who will take care of the ledger board. And then he brings in this one servant, the text says, who owes him millions of dollars. Now, the original language there says it's 10,000 talents. Now, I don't know if you believe Jesus to be a funny guy, a funny preacher, a funny teacher, But this is hyperbole, and he uses hyperbole a lot. When he would have said this, the entire group of people would have chuckled, burst out laughing, because it's an impossible amount of money. No one in their right mind would have, it's just not, would not have been heard of in Jesus' time. You see, a talent is a weight of something. And so you may hear about a, a talent of gold, or a talent of silver, or a talent of copper, Most scholars believe that silver is what's being talked about in this particular story. And so one talent of silver is the equivalent of about 75 pounds of silver. Now, I looked up in our day and age, 2018, what that is worth. It's $200 million is 10,000 talents. You can already see it's an impossible amount. It, It just wouldn't be true. You think about a normal day wage in Jesus' time. It would have taken someone 60 million days to pay that off. Now put that in context for us today. Most of us work 50 years. If you take out vacations and weekends, etc., if we worked 50 years, that's 12,500 days. This guy owes 60 
million days to the king. It's an impossible number. Can't make it happen. It won't happen. And the story goes on in verse 25. He couldn't pay, surprise. So his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. So the master looks at this servant and he says, you can't pay. I'm going to show you what happens when you take out more than you can pay. I'm going to show you what happens when you don't pay back what you owe. I'm going to sell you, I'm going to sell your wife, your kids, and all the little trinkets in your house to try to recoup some of the money that you've taken from me. Well, clearly, this is a disheartening moment. It's a troubling time in our story. He can't pay the bill. And I want us to remember back to last week. We've all sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. There is a debt there that you and I cannot pay. It's impossible to pay. It's more time than we would have to pay. It's just an impossibility. Jesus is trying to make a point here with his story. We we pretend that maybe we could repay it by comparing ourselves to other people. If you remember, your sin's a little bit worse than mine, or maybe I could work it off, kind of a a works-based salvation. But we're reminded, Paul does in Romans, that our sin is way more than we have money to pay for, time to pay for, a life to pay for. The story continues in verse 26. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. He's in a state of needing grace. He desperately needs help. I mean, it's $200 million. You and I, in Texas, we get to the months of August and September, and we wonder if we'll be able to pay the electric bill. This guy, it's an impossible bill to pay. He's going to need some help. Verse 27. Then his master was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. Now understand, the master did not look at the servant and say, you owe me $200 million. I tell you what, I'm gracious today, I'm feeling good today, the sun's out, I'm going fishing later. Okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take the $200 million, we're going to cut it in half, and we'll work out an installment plan for that $100 million. We'll work out some kind of payment plan. That's not what the master did. The Greek words here are totally forgiven. He looks at the guy holding the ledger and he says, This guy is on the books for $200 million. I want you to put an X through that and put zero by his name. I'll tell you what, you don't owe me anything. This is a debt you couldn't pay, and so I'm going to take care of it for you. You're free to go. Have a good day. Wow. This master sounds quite similar to the God that we serve. We have a debt that we could not pay, and he cancels it. So the guy leaves the presence of the king. He walks out into the general population. He gets out there in community. Verse uh, 28. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. Now the Greek tells us here that this guy owed about 100 denarii to the other servant. 
Now, remember, one denarii is about a day's wage. So this guy needed to work 100 days to fulfill his obligation to the other servant. But remember, the guy that just left the king owed 60 million days of work to the king, which has been forgiven 100%. We go on. Verse 29, his fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded, but his creditor couldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and they told him everything that had happened. Why are the other servants so upset? Have you ever saw that in this story? Why are they so despondent? Why are they so sad about the moment? It's because they all lived in community. They all lived together. You see, this group of people, based upon the story and what we know in the story, is more like a family than they are servants and slaves. The king treats them like sons and daughters. And yet this is how... Someone acts who's part of the family. The king is generous and gracious. So when they see one of their own who has been extended grace but fails to give grace, everyone else sees a problem. There's an issue. They were distressed. They were sad. They were outraged. They were upset. See, when we see those who have been given grace begin to show judgment toward other people who may have different life struggles than they do. We get distressed as a community. We we get upset about that. It's not okay. When we see other people bring in legalism and try to bind rules and regulations that may not even be biblical because it's what they want to do rather than leaning into the gracious, tender heart of the king, we get upset about that. We get sad about that. And what we find out as we read this story is this truth. That true followers will not be bullied by those who refuse to look like the master. At the end of the day, the community rises up and says, Our master is gracious and kind and generous, and we will live the type of life that is grateful for what he has done for us. And our story continues in verse 32. When the king called in the man, he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? But the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. You remember how many working days he has? He will be in there the rest of his life, and it will be a living hell for him. Jesus goes on in verse 35 to say, That's what my heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Now, before you get too excited, understand I'm not telling you that this morning in verse 35. Jesus, the Son of God, in the Bible in verse 35 is telling us that this morning. So if you have a hang-up, talk to him about it. Jesus is saying, you owed, but I paid it off. It only makes sense then that you not only receive the grace, but then you hand it out to those around you, even those that have done you wrong. And 
we sit there in our story and we say, but, but I mean, I'm owed something. Somebody owes me something. I mean, I've got witnesses. I've got text on my phone. I've got the emails on my laptop. I, I could show you. I at least need an explanation. Somebody owes me a marriage. Someone owes me a childhood. Someone owes me some money. Somebody owes me something. But at the end of the day, when we read this story, we realize what it's called is extending grace, just like the Heavenly Father has done for you and for me. And what we see in the story is that the grace that you and I are asked to give will never be more than what you have already received from the Father. Jesus himself says, you owed me $200 million. That's a little bit bigger than the 3000 someone else owes you. This isn't to make light of what you need to forgive. It isn't, it isn't meant to make light of how much you have been hurt, how much you have been crushed, how much you have been betrayed and disappointed. It's not to lessen that feeling at all. But it is the realization to know that you and I have been forgiven so very much. And if you don't understand this equation, I would dare say then you don't really understand the gospel. Because that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. To live the kind of life that looks very different than what the world has for you and for me. Someone once said, if the biggest sinner you know isn't you, then you don't know yourself very well. There's no one in this room whose sin is bigger than mine. I'm not any better than anybody else. And yet Jesus Christ has forgiven that sin. And so who am I to withhold? Who am I to pull back? You see, grace is, is bigger than repayment. It's this idea that somebody owes me something. They have to make something right. Grace is bigger than repayment. Grace is bigger than revenge. It's this idea that because I'm hurting, you're now going to hurt as well, and maybe even more when I'm done. Grace is way bigger than revenge. Grace is bigger than resentment as well. I'm going to quietly stew and become more and more bitter more and more cynical, more and more angry along the way. This is a difficult saying of Jesus Christ because I know if you're like me, there's been people in your life that's hurt you. But he calls us to remember what he's done for us and then that grace is passed on to other people around us. No matter how bad the hurt, we're different than the world around us. We follow a different script. We surrender everything, not just part of us, everything so that he can make all things new. The way that we enter into relationships and be full of grace and forgiveness and understanding that we're all human and we may not all get it right all of the time. You see, the key to, the key to giving grace is to stop thinking about what people have done to you and start thinking about what Jesus has done for you. And if we wrap our minds and hearts around that idea, it will change your world and your way of thinking. Because, church, we are so blessed. We have been forgiven so much. How can we stop extending God's forgiveness through our action and our words by people around us, even though the hurt is very real? 
because we listen to a different script than the world uses. We lean into the idea that he indeed will make all things new within our lives. And so this morning is a call for all of us to think about as we began this discussion. There was a name that came to your mind as we started this discussion. There was a moment in time where somebody hurt you dearly. And Jesus says it's time to get healthy. It's time to let go of that. It's time to lean into the story that I've got prepared for you. It's time for you to have peace and joy in your life and stop harboring what someone else did to you at some point and remember what I've done for you on the cross. And that that empty grave celebrates the idea that I have risen and I sit at the right hand of God. And because of that, you and I have a blessed life and we too will be blessed. And we too will have that resurrection type life. I'm looking forward to that church. How about you? I want to lean into the story of Jesus Christ. I want to be everything he's created me to be. I want to say no to the world and lean into his story because that's where you and I will find life and fruitfulness and joy and the peace that we all hope to have. I'm going to invite the praise team back to the stage at this time. And as they sing this song, our shepherds and their wives will be gathered along the wall of this room. And my guess is that that all of us have have got something in our life going on, some hurt that we've experienced, something we wished we could move past. And maybe this morning you need a a prayer of, of encouragement for you in that moment, that you would rectify or reconcile that relationship, that you would forgive and be able to move forward. Maybe you need the call of the Holy Spirit, uh, His power down upon you to make that happen. Maybe in your own life, it's, it's a moment for you to realize, you know, I've not let go of some things in the past, and I need to do that in order for me to be healthy, to have peace and joy in my life, the stuff that Jesus Christ has promised. I want to be a part of that. So go to our shepherds as we sing this song. Let them pray with you and over you. Or maybe today is the day you say, you know what? I'm going to leave this world behind, the script that it's given me. I want to be baptized into Christ, and I want to take on his Holy Spirit so that I can be made new. I want everything that God wants for me in my life, and I'm willing to surrender today to make that happen. Don't leave this room without making things right with our risen Savior. Let's stand and sing together.